the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded. This is the Northern Alliance Radio Network, the longest-running conservative talk show in the Twin Cities. It's great to be back in Minnesota today. Political analysis of the good, the bad, and the outright crazy. <laughs> now, here's your headline act, Mitch Bird. Welcome back to Twin Cities and World. It's the wind beneath the right wing, the Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM12A, The Patriot. My name, Mitch Berg, my blog, shotinthedark.info. My tenure on the air here in the Twin Cities at this very station, at this post, going on 20 years, the Northern Alliance Radio Network. In fact, in another week, we'll be hitting the halfway mark of year 20 on the air, a show that serious people seriously predicted would last six weeks, maybe, if God smiled on us, if there was a huge tailwind, is going on its 20th year this coming March. Well, we're going to have to have that party. Speaking of parties, we're going to be talking about some parties upcoming here later on in the hour here. We'll, uh, we've got a few fun ones coming up here, both station and my own personal uh, business here. We'll we'll be talking about all of that. So, want to join us? Give us a call today. This is a pre-recorded show, by the way. I've got some stuff going on around and about. I'll be back live in the studio next week. Brad Carlson in live tomorrow here from one to three. Jack Tomzak in the studio, I believe, coming up here in a, a, about an hour now. Uh, so. Anyway, the Northern Alliance Radio Network dominating weekend radio and really all Twin Cities media, print, video, television, podcasts, whatever you have. Town, if there were town criers, we'd dominate them too, and we'd make it look easy. That's what we do. So one of the signature events in my life, uh, one of the, the, the real pivotal events in the way I, I lived my life and the way my life turned out has turned out so far, I should say, because, I mean, come on, I'm not done yet, uh, was the fall of the Soviet Union. I mean, starting with the fall of the Berlin Wall and ending, well, at least reaching a, an intermission point, let's just say, 10 years later, roughly, uh, not saying uh, three years later, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, the fall of the second world, most of the second world, uh, with two, three notable exceptions. And we'll be talking about one of those exceptions. I mean, I mean, this was such a huge event. I, I have a hard time describing it for people who weren't there. Now, if you're listening to this show, the odds are decent that you were around during the closing years of the Cold War. Uh, if you're not, if you're one of the youngins out there who was born too late to understand the talk of salt talks and MX and mutually assured destruction and uh, counterforce and countervalue, this is uh, this was it's it's impossible to explain it. Although I keep trying, and in fact, I I have a side project in mind that may explain some of this to people who those those of you who are younger who are listening, people under the age of let's just say forty years old. You're approaching middle age, but you look mighty good, by the way. But something to explain the world that made so many people of my generation uh, 
think and act and believe the way we do when it comes to politics, when it comes to society, when it comes to life around us. And and the fall of the Soviet Union was was in it's I say it's impossible to explain because it is hard to explain, but that's what I'm here to do. Explain things. I'm a talk radio host, not a telepathic radio host. So I'll try and explain it. I grew up, as I've mentioned at other times in this broadcast, in the figurative shadow of the Minuteman missile. I grew up in central North Dakota. Central North Dakota is where the missiles grow, like Durham wheat. Uh, when I was in, uh, well, going back to not long after I was born and well past my college years in North Dakota, there were 330 Minuteman three missile silos in two major clusters, one within 80 miles of Minot and one within 75 miles west and southwest of Grand Forks. The nearest one to my hometown of Jamestown was 20 miles away. And for whatever reason, I, as a young fella, did a lot of reading about what nuclear weapons were, how they worked, what they did, why they mattered, why people were fussing about them, and looking at the possibilities that the whole world as I knew, and let's be honest, the whole world that you knew too, could be incinerated or irradiated in a matter of a half an hour if some colonel in Colorado Springs or Kubishev, somewhere in the middle of Russia, uh, had a bad day or caught an order wrong or if somebody's radar malfunctioned, as, by the way, happened a number of times, leading the world perilously close to nuclear Armageddon more times than they have told you about and a number of cases have leaked out since the fall of the Soviet Union of of cases where somebody's radar malfunctioned or someone put the wrong tape into the playback machine on the radar unit that that showed a training exercise for dealing with a massive incoming nuclear attack at the NORAD uh, command center that led almost to uh to, to, that could have hypothetically led to the launching of a nuclear war right in the middle of my junior year of high school. So I took this stuff seriously, and I, I, I resolved I wasn't going to have any children. I wasn't going to be bringing any kids into the world with this hanging over their heads. And it, it's not coincidental that my oldest child was born right about the time the Strategic Air Command dropped its alert that it had been on for 30 years with the fall of the Berlin Wall and with the fall of the Soviet Union in the early 1990s. I wouldn't have even thought about it before that. And, and my children and two, two new generations of Bergs at this point exist because the other superpower fell. Well, we have another superpower in the world, another superpower that, that we have been conditioned to look at as potentially the next big problem, the next big enemy out there on the horizon here for for uh, the better part of a couple decades right now. Certainly an economic powerhouse, not as much of a military threat to us, although they have ballistic missiles, they have missile submarines, they have they have some ways of threatening the United States, but it's not like the glory days of the Cold War, unless you live in Taiwan or Japan or South Korea or the Philippines or Australia, in which case you're potentially right in their sights. They, they have been an economic threat for the most part for most of my life, and really only the last 20 years here have they really seriously been an economic threat. And with the fall of the Soviet Union, they 
took their place with a modification. Uh, I don't want to say modification of the communist system that, that got them where they were as of 30 years ago. What we mean is opening up the communist system to more open strongmanism, to more mo- open cronyism, to to shunting of money from all over the world to the key uh, palms that need to be greased in the People's Liberation Army. It's It's a quick summary. I don't think it's an inaccurate or inadequate one. Now, I've been following this story along with a few other people. This is a story that's just starting, barely starting to, to get any traction for the last in the United States. But for the last three years, I've had some dilatory contact with uh, the, the people who are associated with and uh, have some contact with the Chinese dissident community, dissidents who've left China in recent years because they're concerned with the way things are going in China, who, 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 want, who want the things that the Western world offers and are, would like the opportunity to tell the West what's going on we, in China. We've, we've seen bits and pieces of it. For example, the, the legendary stories of the, the initial Chinese government response to COVID, where they were welding people into their apartments and, and essentially letting them starve to death because they were paranoid about COVID. Well, according to, I mean, this story started to bubble up a couple of years ago in certain elements of the Chinese diasporic dissident community who've been saying, watch out for China and, and not not in a well, not in the way that we used to say, watch out for China or watch out for the Soviet Union. Watch out for serious problems to break out in China. Watch out for people to start to push the limits in China in a way that you haven't seen since Tiananmen Square. By the way, which you started seeing bits and pieces of evidence of during the latter days of the COVID crackdowns where you had Chinese actually actively flexing on the security forces that were trying to enforce the quarantines. You, you start to see a, a lot of these problems. And, and, and I was warned, well, advised of a couple things by people in the Chinese diasporic dissident community who shall remain nameless uh, because, well, the Chinese uh, police force is wandering America looking for dissidents to uh, clap in irons and bring back to the home country for trial and punishment. But China's got problems. And that's not to say that it's good news for us. Uh, but China has its problems. And we'll, we'll talk about a few of those problems. Uh, you're starting to see American media just starting to scratch the surface of this story. Ben Shapiro had a great short piece on this this past week that really does run down some of the basic facts you got to be watching out for when looking at China in coming months and coming years. And by the way, I mean, we are talking things changing at a, at a pace that makes months important and years vital, not decades, most likely at this point. One of the things that they told that the Chinese dissidents said that isn't getting a lot of play right now is that the Chinese, one of the reasons you have so many Chinese students in America, I mean, there's the story, and, and there's likely some truth to it, that a, lot, that a fair number of Chinese students and Chinese expats living in America are, in fact, harvesting technology to send back to the home country. I mean, technical espionage, the pirating 
of intellectual property and technical patents has been a problem in dealing with China for decades. But there's another significant source of emigration from China, immigration to the West from China, and that is the children of Communist Party officials, industrial middle management, people involved in Chinese government at levels below the top, who, according to these members of the Chinese dissident community, are basically parking their kids overseas because they are worried about what's going to happen when the system finally does collapse. Now, I first heard this from someone with a close connection to someone who has a close connection to the Chinese dissident community, to the expat dissident community of of Chinese who've left China and are serving at least quietly as dissidents as they watch out with one uh, eye over their shoulder for the Chinese police, who, by the way, news came out in recent weeks that they have apparently an office here in the Twin Cities. So, uh, hello, China. We're talking about you, and we're going to continue talking about you. These people are parking their children overseas because they're worried about what's going to happen to them when things finally collapse. They're worried literally for their lives. Why? What is the nature of this potential collapse, and what does it mean to you and I here in the United States? Well, we'll talk about that when we come back. It's the Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 12, The Patriot. Go nowhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Twin Cities and World, Wind Beneath the Right Wing, Winding Spot of Red, etc., etc., Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 1280, The Patriot. I have warned people. And I'll warn you one more time. Anytime we tell you about a big, fun, cool, awesome Patriot event, we warn you when there's a limited number of tickets, and sometimes there are. I mean, we've had some effectively unlimited ticket events, like events out at parks and orchestra hall. I mean, we could we fit in 3,000. We could have taken 1,000 more. But some of these events are tiny. I mean, relatively speaking, tiny. And and one of those is coming up Wednesday at the Dakota Country Club. Dennis Prager, one night only, talking about politics and cigars. Two of his favorite topics, two of my favorite topics. I'm not going to lie. I haven't had a cigar in years, probably five years now. I'm about due. I usually have one a year, whether I need it to or not. And Wednesday night's going to be it. We got uh, we got some great sponsors. We got some great events coming up here. This is going to be a lot of fun. But if you didn't buy a ticket, it's too late. Don't worry. There's going to be other cool events coming up here. You have not missed the train for good, but you've missed it for Wednesday. Uh, Brad Carlson and I will be there. We're going to be doing the emceeing duties uh, once things tee up. Uh, there's going to be food. There's going to be cigars. Presumably, there's going to be some adult goodies, beverages. Maybe. We'll see. We'll find out. Anyway, Wednesday night. Uh, there, if you if you got your ticket, I'm looking forward to seeing you and uh, 99 other of our closest friends when we get there. So, uh, Wednesday night, Dennis Prager live in town, uh, talking about China. This is a story that is just starting to uh, get some eyeballs here in America. It's it's an important story, maybe maybe the most important story potentially since the fall of the Berlin Wall, since the fall of the Soviet Union. Bigger than the war on terror? Yeah, bigger than the war on terror. And the, the, the idea is that China is heading, for a variety of reasons, 
for a catastrophic economic, demographic, and possibly political collapse. Now, why is that? Now, Ben Shapiro had a great podcast on the subject last week. It's less than 10 minutes long. He runs down five key reasons he sees for for communist China to collapse. I'm, I've heard similar stories from uh, similar points, similar evidence from other commentators on the subject. I'm going to go through them here. And beyond that, and more importantly, I'm going to go through what it means to you and I, those of us who are in America and have to have to have to deal with the out with the fallout of this, whatever it may wind up being. First reason is they're run by a dictatorship. I mean, it, you say, well, no, duh, that goes without saying. Uh, it's not all dictatorships the same. And yes, Mao Zedong was one of the most evil, bloodthirsty human beings of all time. Uh, Chairman Mao, as he was, as he's commonly known, uh, was responsible, arguably, for more human death than Joseph Stalin. Almost certainly more than than Adolf Hitler. That, that puts him up there in the major leagues in terms of of slaughtering human beings. But they, they've gone through some reforms. I mean, thirty years ago, there was a Chinese regime that took over from the the after what was left of the Mao Zedong regime imploded uh, or transitioned, I should say. That thought they would try and and keep kind of do a a, a more thought out version of what of what in theory Gorbachev tried to do tried to keep the communist system but bring in bring in some of the better elements or at least the more useful elements to them of the free market, of capitalism, of, of the Western economy. And, and it worked to an extent. China has been growing at a, at a staggering 8% a year rate, year over year, for the past, what, 20 years now? I mean, it's insane amount of growth. But I will direct you to a quote by one of my favorite American political writers, Kevin Williamson, a man who's been a guest on this show many times, former writer for the National Review. Uh, He's written for a lot of my favorite publications and and one of my least favorite, briefly for The Atlantic until he got canceled. Uh, He he wrote a wonderful point that this sums up the power of the free market and the – weakness and impotence of the alternatives to the free market. He said, politics is the least efficient way of allocating uh, resources, whatever the resource is, whether it's uh, resource money that you have to spend, capital that you have to invest, labor that you have to allocate, time that you, you don't want to waste. The, the free market is the most efficient possible system because literally everyone in the world is making their decisions dozens of times a day with the most powerful word being no. I don't want to buy it. I, that's why Target, by the way, is suffering right now because because of the free market and people exercising their revulsion over transgender children's wear, people are saying no, including myself, are saying no to Target. They're shopping elsewhere. Target and Bud Light and many other products that went woke are bleeding money. That's efficient use of resources. Politics, in other words, using elected officials to make decisions about economic matters, where the resources go, what they buy, how much you spend to get things, is 
considerably less effective. You don't have millions of decisions being made every day. You have the slow, ponderous decisions of elected officials at best, bureaucrats at worst. And, and a few, I mean, look at every Met Council project for starters. That tells you something. The free market would not have gotten us into the Southwest Light Rail Line. The, the free market would tear out the two trains we already have, three trains we already have. Uh, and if you have a dictator, a single point of decision making, well, that's the least efficient of all. And, of course, they're on top of a bureaucracy, but that bureaucracy is reacting out of fear to the dictator who can at best – destroy their livelihood, and at worst, destroy them and their family, literally, wipe them from the face of the earth. The current dictator, Xi Jinping, has done something that that Chinese dictators have been a little more loath to do in recent decades, established himself as a single-point strongman in a way that the previous several chairmen of the Chinese Communist Party didn't. They were more, for what it's worth, they were more deliberative, more collaborative, less dictatorial than Xi Jinping. He's brought the decision-making process unto himself, and it's showing the Chinese economy is bleeding. And and this is happening at a time when the Chinese economy has, has, has a number of other problems, for starters. It's in a demographic death spiral. Uh, Russia is in a demographic death spiral, but not as bad as China. It is the most rapidly aging society, not just on Earth, but in history. The, the it, Considerably worse than Russia. Uh, every woman in China has 1.2 births. Now, they repealed their one China policy, but way too late to save the country's demographic balance. They're, they're barely above replacement rate. They're actually, they're falling below replacement rate. The, the, the population is peaked and is shrinking, which inexorably means the population will be getting older. But during the glory days, and I say that with full sarcasm intended, the glory days of the one-child policy, people would, because they're such a male-centered society, note this feminists, a more patriarchal society than America, go figure, uh, there are three, uh, three to four percent more boys than girls year over year in China, which means a lot of men running out there with no chance of ever getting married, no chance of ever passing on their bloodline, no chance of ever having a woman in their life. It's like living in Alaska. Only 1.2 billion people worth of it. They're in a demographic death spiral from which Peter Zihan, an expert on the subject, says there is no recovery. Beyond that, remember what we said about, about politics being the least effective possible way of allocating resources? Well, China's got it in spades. Their, their lack of innovation that they have. I mean, every, their economy is state-controlled. And the state, while they liberalized some parts of their market, they still maintain absolute control. They, they maintain a planned economy. And the, the plans are done at the speed of bureaucracy. At best, you get the interstate highway system only in terms of consumer goods. At worst, you get uh, Minlars only covering uh, 1.3 billion people. By the way, 
The manufacturing work that is being done in China that, that most of the Western world has outsourced to China for the cheap manufactured goods, well, that's going towards robotics. And you don't have to outsource a robot. A robot in America is just as cheap as a robot in China. And neither of them involves a human working. And, and there's no reason to export manufacturing jobs to a dictatorship that's in the middle of a demographic death spiral when the robot doesn't care. Socialism, nationalized economy, kills innovation. And with the innovation dead, the robots are just come in and mop up the rest of the market. And by coming in, I mean staying home. If I mean, this could be the rebirth of American manufacturing, especially if the rest of the Chinese economy completely tanks. So that's those are the three issues right there. Uh, the other one, of course, is their debt to GDP ratio. We talk about how awful it is under Bidenomics, under uh, under Build Back Battered. We have a bad debt to GDP ratio. China. Uh, hold on to your hat, folks. It gets much, 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 much worse. This is the Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 1280, The Patriot. Go nowhere. Uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Twin Cities and World, Northern Alliance Radio Network. Don't forget Jack Tom's uh, coming up at the top of the hour, 3 o'clock. He's going to have a great show today. He always has a great show. He always knows where the figurative bodies are buried. At least I think they're figurative bodies buried in Minnesota politics. I don't want to find out for sure whether they're figurative or literal. If you've ever met Jack, you'll know what I mean. Either way, the show is must-listen to radio, as is Brad Carlson, coming up tomorrow from 1 to 3 here on AM 12A, The Patriot. Hey, I've been remiss. I've been talking about the Dennis Prager, uh, Prager Cigar Night uh, coming up this coming Wednesday, where Brad Carlson and I will be uh, holding forth as our, you know, exercising our MC skills. I have forgotten and and neglected to mention the, the sponsors. Of course, it's coming up Wednesday. Uh, pour a drink, light up a fine cigar, engage in conversation about politics, culture, public opinion, music, cigars, uh, other libations with Dennis Prager. We'll be outdoors at the beautiful Mendicota Country Club with like-minded patriot listeners and enjoy premium food and <clears throat> beverages. Don't miss out on this intimate VIP experience. Again, if you've not bought tickets, you've missed out. I'm sorry. I, that's misleadingly worded, but. I, I, I don't control. I can't hold your hand forever. You gotta get in on these things. Either way, it's sponsored by Pro Life Across America, uh, by Out of the Box Financial, and of course by our good friends at Founders Cigar Company. It looks to be a veteran-owned guitar uh, cigar company. If they had cigars and guitars, I'd be a double customer. Either way, I'll be checking out the wares along with Brad and Dennis Prager and a hundred of our closest friends at Mendicota Wednesday night. Uh, maybe if you didn't buy a ticket, you can just stand downwind and listen carefully and smell deeply. And, and yeah, I'm kind of torturing you, aren't I? At any rate, it's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Uh, care to join us, by the way, on this pre, uh, pre-recorded broadcast. Uh, you can join us at hashtag Narn Show. That's N-A-R-N Show. I'm exercising a rare pre-recorded broadcast. I'll explain why a little later on in the show here today. But we're talking about... 
What some contacts of mine, and by the way, have been saying for years, warning for years, is the potentially imminent fall of red China. Now, we talked about the first three of the five reasons that several pundits, including Ben Shapiro, and uh, have echoed from some of the things I've been hearing for a couple years now from people who are connected with the Chinese dissident community. Uh, it's a dictatorship. And if if bureaucracies or if, if elected bodies are a terribly inefficient way of allocating resources, time, attention, energy, dictatorships are even worse because trying to replace the power, dynamism, nimbleness of a free market economy with an elected body of hundreds is completely futile madness, and doing it with one person driving that bureaucracy is just delusion. And the results in China are showing that. Also, the demographics are in a complete death spiral. It's unsustainable to maintain the economy that they are maintaining in terms of just the morale of the nation. There aren't enough men. I'm sorry. There aren't enough young women for the young men. And pretty soon there won't be jobs for them either if the economy does crash, as it sounds like I may. The the lack of innovation is a byproduct of inefficient, socialized, planned economies. Now, you might look at things that are happening in America and say, hey, wait. If you're talking about a socialized, planned economy, oh, we will get to that. Have no fear. We'll get to that because we're approaching a point in history we will have the opportunity to learn from the lessons of others if we're smart enough. Given the administration currently in Washington and in St. Paul, I'm not sanguine about that, but there's hope. You and I are that hope, let's be honest. Uh, nationwide and here in Minnesota. At any rate, uh, all of the economic news is breaking badly for China, not least of which is the fact that the idea of sending cheap manufactured products uh, overseas to be manufactured and bringing them back from China on the cheap is going to be sunsetting at some point because of robotics. That that is that that, that does that's very bad news for a company that provides cheap labor when you don't even need the cheap labor. Now, their debt-to-GDP ratio, that's where things get interesting. The current debt-to-GDP ratio is 159%, which is as much of a debt problem as the Western world has. China's is 60% higher. And their national debt, now, we complain, those of us who are smart enough to complain about it here in America, are justifiably very concerned about the fact that our debt-to-GDP ratio is right now about 100%. It would take about a year of domestic product to pay off the national debt. That's every penny spent and produced in in wealth and expenditures of, of all kinds going to pay down the debt for a full year. And by the way, that's not counting unfounded mandates, which you're talking more like six or seven years of the entire gross national product. Thank you, public employee unions. But that's 100% of gross domestic product is is soaked up by the debt here in America. In China, it's 300%. Three times as bad as it is here. They've had to pay for that growth by putting a whole lot of money on the cosmic credit card. 
Yeah. A, a lot of this debt is driven by government priorities. Let's go back to who makes the decisions. Government priorities set by central planning. And one of the, the situations that, that Ben Shapiro throws out there is the, the notion of the Chinese ghost cities, which are, are these massive cities full of apartment blocks that are uninhabited. In fact, uninhabitable. I mean, they're shells of buildings that are nominally apartments, but you wouldn't put a person in there. They don't have any of the, they don't have plumbing. They don't have infrastructure. They don't have sewage. They're just buildings, empty buildings, 65 million units of uninhabitable housing. Now, this was built on government command to give Chinese workers something to, quote, invest, end quote, in, to have an ownership stake in something. Because the Chinese saw the benefits of American ownership society, giving people a stake in some future investment that will pay off for them, and figure, hey, owning something is, is what the free market is about. They missed the part about having to be uh, something of value. Now, if you remember the uh, mortgage crisis of 2008, and honestly, if you're above the age of 30, you no doubt remember it very, very clearly. Uh, this was over several million units of, of housing uh, defaulting on loans. I forget exactly how many million, in, in, in several million units where the, the refinanced loans were not worth nearly the price of the assets that they were floating. And it, it crashed the, uh, the housing market badly for a couple of years. This is 65 million units it paid for with the debt, with the debt purchased by Chinese citizens, subjects, that is worthless. And when it becomes, and by the way, it's enough. It's enough housing at an average of two people per unit. Let's say two point five people per unit. That's forty percent of the entire population of the United States would fit into these ghost cities if they weren't completely Potemkin villages. They are of no value. They are of no more value than the Russian ruble. It's a completely propped up facade of a currency and and these ghost cities are are propped up facades of real estate with trillions of dollars invested in them and when that bubble pops and a whole lot of chinese subjects realize that they were bamboozled by a centrally planned economy that sold them something of less value than the figurative bridge you sell a rube to to separate a fool from their money what do you suppose happens then uh, the final thing, and Ben Shapiro points this out, as does every commentator, nervously pointing at the Chinese military, the largest standing military in the world, two million men in the army alone. It's a large, impressive-looking military. And as uh, military intelligence commentator Ryan, uh, uh, what the heck is his name? Uh, <laughs> blanking on the name. But Ryan Macbeth, thank you very much. I was blocking on it there. So. It's uh, by all appearances, it's a military that looks really good at parades. Experience counts in the military and, and in, in warfare more than in sports. Having a winning tradition, experience at knowing how to do what it takes to win is, if anything, a lot more important 
in in the world of warfare than it is in the world of professional sports. I mean, it's certainly a life and death matter. Uh, look, look at the Minnesota Timberwolves. No tradition of winning to speak of. Take that and superimpose it onto a matter of life and death. Well, the Chinese military hasn't fought an action against an enemy shooting back at them. Forget about Tiananmen Square. It's been 44 years since they fought an actual war against an enemy that could shoot back at them other than domestic enemies or COVID victims in apartment blocks. And they got clobbered. The, the Vietnamese brutalized them out. The Vietnamese had just beaten the United States. They were among the most experienced militaries in the world at that point, and they brutalized the Chinese People's Liberation Army. That was 44 years ago. And since then, the Chinese military has equipped itself with the same equipment that is, shall we say, befouling the sheets in, in, in Ukraine right now, only older for the most part, and is largely <laughs> spending its time on parade ground exercises to cover for the fact that it's not fought a war in living memory of anyone in the military. I mean, think about it. A general in the People's Liberation Army was in high school the last time shots were fired in anger by the People's Liberation Army. But this is the military, by the way, that wants to go, in theory, attack Taiwan. Uh, Notwithstanding the fact that they don't have enough sea lift to get one-fifth of the troops they needed to Taiwan and fight against a military that's been practicing for this war for 70 years. You add all this up, and China is in deep, deep trouble. Now, what does that mean for America? Well, when the economy does collapse, and give it a matter of years, two to ten, some have said, you're going to want to be ready for the mother of all supply chain disruptions. Uh, More about that when we come back. Uh, Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 1280, The Patriot. Go nowhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Twin Cities and World, final segment, Northern Alliance Radio Network. Oh, man, so much stuff going on. Okay, so we, we let's just catch up on social life and uh, station social life and stuff here. Uh, we're going to be uh, – see, let me see. Brad Carlson and I are going to be at Mendicota Country Club for Dennis Prager, one night only, the cigar festival, uh, the, the uh, one night only cigar party. Uh, cigar night, we're calling it, at Mendicota Country Club Wednesday. If you don't have tickets, sorry. If you do have tickets, yay. Looking forward to seeing you. This will be great. Brought to you by Pro-Life Across America, Out of the Box Financial, and, of course, our good friends at Founders uh, Cigar Company. Glad to make their acquaintance here. Also, next Saturday, this is a late-breaking bit of news, I believe. If plans hold still uh, steady, we'll be going back to the Minnesota State Fair. Oh, stay tuned for more on that over the coming week. I'll also be posting it at shotinthedark.info. Yeah, Brad, Jack, and I will be doing a rare, actually first time ever, live three-party broadcast at the Minnesota State Fair. We haven't been to the fair in a couple of years, so this is going to be fun. All right, other social life stuff coming up here. Uh, My band, Elephant in the Room, we played last night at uh, the Bloomington VFW. We had a blast, as always. Bloomington VFW is always a riot figuratively, not literally. It's not mostly peaceful. It was entirely raucous and fun. At any rate, 
Tonight, uh, by the way, going to be up north at a, a secret undisclosed location for a private party. But a week from tonight, we're going to be at Big Guy Barbecue, brand new club for Elephant in the Room in Holton, Wisconsin, which is kind of the north edge of North Hudson, Wisconsin, just across the river from Stillwater. Just go across on 36, and it's uh, a couple of roundabouts. You're maybe a mile east of the St. Croix. It's a fun place. I hope you can make it out there and catch us. This is going to be a fun, fun gig. And by the way, the food, if you like barbecue like I like barbecue, you're going to like Big Guy's BBQ Roadhouse in Holton, Hudson, Wisconsin, just east. By the way, our first gig in Wisconsin is going to be fun. And just east of the uh, east of the St. Croix, just east of Stillwater here. So that's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of other Elephant in the Room gigs coming up. So China. Uh China looks, I mean, there, there's not much way, barring some major attack of economic wisdom and uh, somehow hitting a cosmic undo key on 50 years of demographic insanity on the one-child policy, on some of their policies that have left them a female-free society uh, in demographic decline, the most rapidly aging society in human history, worse than Russia, Worse than Germany, worse than the Netherlands. I mean, that's how bad things are. I mean, Russia's in a demographic death spiral. They are looking like a day at Lollapalooza compared to China right now. Now, when it happens, I, I'm not going to indulge in a lot of armchair generalcy or, or, or act like Paul Krugman and, and talk about out of school about economics that I barely understand. But be advised. Watch out for what's happening there. You're going to start seeing more of this. The conservative media is just starting to cover this. The mainstream media will lag because that's what they do. They're they're doing what they're told, and this is not on the big agenda. But this may be the most important story of, I, I won't say of your life, uh, because there are ample ways for this to, I mean, I... This is going to be as big as the fall of the Soviet Union, potentially. And while the fall of the Soviet Union was an unalloyed good for the vast majority of the world, I mean, it freed hundreds of millions of people. It uh, brought the free market and freedom to Eastern Europe and a good chunk of the rest of the world. It set communism, the most brutal regimes in the history of the world, as bad as Nazism, by any rational measure, it set them back on their heels and sent them back to North Korea, Cuba, and China. But uh, there's nothing that says that this necessarily has to turn out well for all of us. I mean, for starters, any part of our economy that's still dependent on the Chinese supply chain, we're talking your electronics, we're talking your mobile devices, we're talking your prescription medications, by the way, which are largely produced in massive numbers in China. Uh, the, the investment, the amount of debt held in China, well, that's, that's dropped a bit in recent years. But uh, it's still potentially going to create a massive economic dislocation. So the best thing I can tell you at this point is learn, pay attention. And whatever it is that you resolve to do to get ready for a period of economic uncertainty, now would be the time to start looking into that. We'll be we'll be talking about that in coming weeks. I I want for you, the listeners, and my family and I, to be able to get ahead of this, to not be victims of a world that is potentially going to be changing pretty radically, potentially for the good, 
and potentially for a lot of people, not if you follow Chinese history going back 4,000 years, the little guy and gal usually takes the fall for the mistakes of the emperor, of the empress, of the, the, the premier of the Politburo. Uh, it could be a parlous time to be a little guy in China. Worse than here? Yeah, probably. Now, you might say, wait, hold it. Our economy is being swallowed up by the bureaucrats, by the people who Kevin Williamson said are the least efficient possible way of, of making decisions about scarce resources, about economic resources, the, the political system. You're right. Everything about what the Biden regime is doing is kissing cousins with what the Chinese have done with their economy. Not as drastic, but between the, the, the rise of the bureaucratic state, the rise of central planning, the, the tying of so much of the American economy, uh, especially here in Minnesota, to the wishes and vicissitudes of the bureaucratic state and to the, the, the flailing of the bureaucratic state that, that tries to get ahead of events and, and always guesses wrong, always, always guesses wrong. Uh, this is something to, to be to be aware of. This is something where if you are tempted to give up on free market conservatism, on freedom itself, now's the time to take a deep breath and think and remember that when there are massive changes, like, say, the fall of our greatest superpower, you know, our economic and military competitor, that is when opportunity arises. That is potentially when freedom truly rings, as it did in the late 1980s and early 1990s when the Soviet Union fell and the wiser na- angels of our nature were there to push freedom out into the vacuum. Will we be smart enough to do it this time? That's what we are here for. That's the, with a little luck, God willing, and with a tailwind, that's the mission for which our generations have been called. Thank you all for tuning in. God bless you all. God bless America. Jack Tomzak up next. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 